change or occur in a certain situation, right? Or B, something in a certain situation absolutely needs to change. I think we can agree with those two working, def like working um, op options there, right? Either we'd like for something to happen or something actually definitely needs to happen. You could fill in the blank there, right? I hope I can stay healthy so I can keep working or else, right? I hope my mom, dad, uncle gets better or else. I hope things without work out with my child, my spouse, or else, all right? God offers us hope now here in the scriptures. But if we're not careful, we're going to treat God's offering of hope with the definition that you guys see here on the screen. Feelings, um, wishful thinking, right? There's, there's a group of people out there who would say that Christianity, the hope found within Christianity is a crutch. And if our, Christ, our hope here is defined by this, then I would agree. Our Christianity is merely a crutch, but it is not this definition. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, feeling unsure of what is desired, of that what, or what is desired will come to pass or will not. Well, this morning we're going to look at God's definition of hope. And so with that being said, let's look at our first point here. Hope, our hope, God's hope, true hope is based on the past. Let's look at verses 22 and 23. Now all this was done, the birth of Jesus Christ. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Letter A, truth builds reason for hope. Um, if you were to turn to the book of Judges, and you're, you're welcome to. I'm going to just read from right here. There's a great passage that talks about the, this idea that truth builds a reason to even hope in the first place. Judges chapter 6. Um, give you guys a picture here. Israel is in a state of continual being, continually being conquered, overrun. They surrender to God. They say, God, we need your help actually this time. We're not going to run away from you. God helps them. And then they get complacent, and they run away from God because they think, okay, I don't need God anymore. And then God says, okay, I'm going to release you from my protection and care, and bad things happen. Well, here we are in, in this cycle of bad decisions. Judges chapter 6, and there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which is an Oprah, that pertained unto Joash the, uh, wow, this, this is what happens when I pick a verse and I didn't look over everything. ABS right, there we go. I promise I'm somewhat educated. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. So we have an Israelite here, a Jewish person, who is gathering wheat, but for one reason. He's gathering in fear. He's trying to save whatever crop he can so that the enemy doesn't come in. The Midianites don't come in and take it or burn it. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, Gideon, and said unto him, The Lord is with you, thou mighty man of valor. And here's where... It comes in with this point here. Truth builds reason for hope. Here's the truth that Gideon was hoping in, and he states to the angel, but it seems like he might have lost that hope. Listen carefully. Gideon said unto him, the angel, O oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, then why is all this befallen us? Here's the truth. And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us. And delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Truth 
builds reason for hope. These Israelites obviously have hope, right? The truth. What's the truth? Well, God has come through. And by the way, that's a truth that we could hold on today, right? God has come through. He's done it at least in the past. So that's a truth that builds a reason for hope. But not only that, let's move forward. Letter B, truth, sorry, trust builds confidence to hope. This book here, this Bible, is by itself enough truth to give you a reason to hope. If, you're, if you choose to believe that the Bible is true, you have at least truth that you can hold. Okay, this is, believing in God is an actual thing, right? But now trust builds confidence in that hope. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says these words. We had, sorry, verse, uh, verses 8 through 10. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired of life. Does that sound like a situation that some of you guys have been in? Or does that at least sound like a situation that requires a little bit of, in order to get through this, I'm going to need a little bit of hope. That's where Paul is. Verse 9, but we had this sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead. Okay, so there's the trust there, right? How? Verse 10, who delivered us from so great a death. Church, he's talking about salvation. So if you are a believer this morning, you have a massive foundation to build your hope upon. God has saved you. It is a done deal. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your hope, if that's all you had, that's what it's in. But he doesn't stop there. He delivered us from so great that, from, from so great a death and doth deliver. And that's where we live in today, right? God has delivered before, and now we're in this state where, we, where God is um, more or less actively delivering us from different situations in our lives, right? God is delivering. And then last but not least, in whom we trust because God has delivered. Verse 10 of, Corinthians, of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. God has delivered he has been delivering us personally in our own experiences, and now in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Our hope is built on the past. Truth builds our reason for hope. If, we, if all we did was stop with the truth of God's word, that'd be great. But the great thing is that we also get to have the truth of experience. Many of you in this room have experienced that God has brought to fruition some of the hopes that you've had in your life. I'm talking about the deep spiritual things that God has said, hey, I, will, I can come through and I have come through and I will come through, okay? Truth builds reason for hope and trust builds confidence to hope, as you read in 2 Corinthians. Number two, not only is hope built based on the past, hope is lived in the present. In the present. And that's where we are today, right? The present. Um, now, some of you guys might say, unfortunately, right, because back in the Old Testament times, you would have been able to see regularly um, God manifesting himself in very spectacular ways. <laughs> Imagine wandering in a desert looking for a home and just knowing that there's a pillar of a smoke that God's presence dwells in by day. And, that is, and at night, it's a pillar of fire. And you know, oh, God's presence is there. And so we don't live in those days. We're living in the present. So... How do we live with a present hope? Well, going back to Matthew chapter 1, 
Let's look at verses 24 and 25. Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. Verse 25, and knew her not until she had brought forth, forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Letter A, the present tests our hope. We have truth that our hope is built on, right? We've built trust because we know that God has come through, and that builds our confidence there. But now, here we are, letter A, the present now tests our hope. And church, tests can be all sorts of ways, right? They can be little, and they can be big. Testing of hope can be as simple as, hey, God, are you going to speak to me, to me today in church? Hopefully not too, not anything more than three hours later, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, God spoke to me. That's good. Great. Thanks, God. Your word's not going to turn into your void. Awesome. Our could be bigger. And this morning we had an opportunity to pray for someone who has um, some hopes, right? Pray for a family here. Church, the present tests our hope. Going back to what we talked to earlier, your hope is only as good as, as the foundation that it's built on, right? And now, church, if we place our hopes in, in people, it's broken, right? In fact, we actually talked about this during this morning uh, life group where the teens were going through the book of Revelation, um, and it, it can be really scary. Like, I, I was trying to tell them, like, hey, this is what's happening, but we know God's going to come through. And then I said, hey, guys, I tried to think of an illustration to capture the type of hope that we have as Christians, but everything, like, falls through because they're all human. I said, hey, I tried to think of a game. Imagine playing in a game that you played so confidently because you knew at the end you're going to win. But again, we would always say, that's a faulty illustration, right? Imagine going into a battle that you already knew, oh, we're going to win this physical battle, you know, using weapon, modern technology and weaponry. Oh, we already know we're going to win this battle. But again, that's a faulty illustration. Guys, there is no hope that you or I could think of that matches the kind of hope that God offers us. Our hope is tested by the present. Um, in James chapter 1, verse 3, he writes, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying, the testing of your faith worketh patience. Now, patience, uh, in that verse, while it might have a specific interpretation, the trying of your faith also works your hope. Because... Our hope is not built on people. People pass on. They move away. We grow apart. They fail us. It's not built in stuff. We live on this earth where, as the scriptures say, moth corrupts and thieves steal. So whether it breaks down or someone takes it from us, we cannot place our hope in stuff. No, our hope is founded in Jesus. Letter B, the present teaches us about our hope. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. We have not a high priest who cannot be touched with a feeling of our, inter of our infirmities. Okay, here is the modern speak for that verse there. Okay, ready? We don't have a leader, a spiritual leader, who doesn't understand what we're going through. Verse 16. I'm oh, sorry, second half says, but was in all points tempted like as we are. That verse tempted doesn't, doesn't just mean tempted with sin, but also tempted with circumstance. He ex was able to experience some of the, many and all of the struggles that you and I might experience as humans. And at the end, it says, yet without sin. And so verse 16 
of Hebrews chapter 4. This would be a great verse to write down if you're someone who might struggle with fears or, or anxieties. Listen to this. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God is not someone who says, hey, yeah, I'll help you. Uh, oh, yeah, sure, whatever you want. I'll help you, man. I'll be there. Hey, I'm moving uh, in a month from now. Help me pack. Or help me doss check. Oh, you know, I'm kind of busy that day. Okay. God's not going to be that friend. He's not going to be that person. We can come boldly to his throne when we are in trouble, ask for help, and he will give us grace to help in time of need. Now, I do want to say this. When God offers us help, many times it's not the hope, the the actualization, the, material, the, the materializing of God's hope isn't always what we want, right? It's not always what we're looking for. But at the end of the day, you know, as they say, hindsight's twenty twenty. we can look back and say, wow, I didn't want it that way, but I can definitely see how God used that. There's so many in this church who, and I'm not going to embarrass anybody or take time to go through all these examples, but... I know several of you in this church who have gone through stuff, and you have literally said to me, you know, I wouldn't have orchestrated that way, nor would I think I would wish that upon somebody else. But you know what? God worked it out. God came through. Um, in James chapter 1, again, we read, God uses our present, the, our experience of hope. God tests it with this life. Um, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. So the hope is, our hope is based on the past. Our hope is lived in the present. And here's where we're going to park for the last few minutes this morning. Our hope is resolved by the future. You see, for the Christians, sometimes, again, like I was saying earlier, the way that God manifests the hope that he offers us tends to be in unexpected ways. In verse, uh, let me turn back here. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we actually are going to read, I'm going to read to you guys a prophecy that many Jews would have been looking towards as they were looking for the coming of Messiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Until the birth of Jesus, if you were an Israelite, a Jewish person, you were looking forward to the coming of Christ. And you would have passed away, still looking forward to that promise. Did God not come through for them? We could say, if you're being realistic, we would say, no, not yet. But has God come through? had God come through for them in the past? Yes, and so they could hold on to that hope. Well, in Matthew chapter 1, here is the fruition, the manifestation of the hope that God has promised. Behold, a virgin shall, can, shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Right, that's the promise. Verse 21, the angel tells Joseph this, she will bring forth a son, he will call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Church, think about that for a second. He was just promised a son saying, the, prom the, 
the, the promise was that, hey, that specific promise in Isaiah 7, verse 14 is, was that, hey, God is going to dwell with you. Verse 21 of Matthew chapter 1 adds to that. It says, he's not, God's just, not just going to be with you. He is going to save his people from their sins. Guys, the way that God manifests the hope that he offers to us might look different than what we want, than what we're expecting. But it is better than anything that you or I could have wished when all is said and done. You see, in Matthew chapter 1, we are looking at an Israel that is being held captive by another nation. Well, maybe not held captive, but they're being controlled, owned by another nation. And so when they're looking for Messiah, they're looking for someone to literally free them from this nation. Well, when Jesus comes, he frees them. <laughs> but in a, a far more important, bigger sense than just political social freedom. No, God literally offers them a freedom that works whether you are in uh, political bondage or political freedom. It works whether you're poor or rich. Rich. God's hope works whether you're a man or a woman. It works for you if you're an adult or a child. It works if you're sick or if you're healthy. God's hope works for everybody. It's resolved by the future because here he says, he comes through, he says, I'm not going to be releasing you from this physical, political uh, bondage you're in, but I am going to release you emotional spiritual freedom and that's amazing because that type of freedom works for anybody at any place at any point in time in any situation this is the hope that god offers us if you could take to the the next slide there here's our contrast god's hope versus the world's hope god's hope is always based on god's character amen Always been, he's always going to come through. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The world's hope, at its best, is based on mankind's best intentions. And how many of you guys know that the best intentions can go wrong? God's hope is always founded on love and truth. Praise God for that. <laughs> he's not out there to give us exactly what we deserve. <laughs> it's founded on love and truth. The world's hope, at best, is founded on feelings because it can't control the outcome. Our God's the Alpha and Omega. He can. He knows the beginning from the end. God's hope will never fail you and will always come through. The world's hope, at its best, can and often will fail you. And I want to remind you again, the world's hope is not like just, oh, um, yeah, I, I'm not hoping in, you know, myself. We can place hope in so many things, right? We can place hope in, you know, our work ethic to carry us through. Um, and then we get sick and our work ethic is nothing. We can place hope in our ability to gain great financial wealth. And then the economy crashes and we lose everything. We can place great hope even in the community of friends that we built. And then people get sick or move away. But God will never fail you and he will always come through. God's hope brings the peace of God. What a blessing. I, I remember I was just recently looking, watching a documentary of Christians who um, did not make the cut, um, so to speak, of people who were transported from Afghanistan to countries of safety uh, recently. And uh, I remember telling our teens at the United Youth Group, man, 
the hope that God offers us here in America, it has to work for them too. <laughs> it has to. Whether you're facing the end of a rifle for your, for, for your Christian faith or whether you are here choosing what church you want to go to on a Sunday morning or what church you want to watch on Facebook, your hope has to work for both situations. The hope of God brings the peace of God. The hope of the world at best brings anxiety because you're just waiting for something to come through. You're just waiting. At best, it brings anxiety and eventually disappointment because things and people will fail you. So what is the resolution of that hope at the beginning, the confidence, letter B, conf a confidence, what, what's the resolution to the world's hope as opposed to God's hope? Well, life is hard. And sometimes it's literally impossible. Hope offers comfort for those difficult, impossible times. And I think we all recognize that in this room that we do need hope. We did, we did discuss, right, how that not all hope is equal. God's hope and the world's hope are not the same thing. And some hope can even create more heartache. So what's the best kind of hope? It's life-giving hope that's built on unshakable foundations. The only firm foundation that can create life-giving hope is the person of Jesus. I have had the opportunity to see, have lots of people fail me, just like anybody else in this room. I've had people fail me. I've failed people. Um, I've seen people who haven't failed me pass from this earth. Um, it's not easy experiencing that. I don't care what age you are. And what's gotten me through some of those really hard times of seeing loved ones move or pass on from this earth is the fact that God will not stop being who he is or doing what he does, that Jesus is not going to stop being our best friend, that Jesus is not going to stop advocating to the Father on our behalf. That is what our hope at the end of the day as Christians is based upon. I asked our uh, worship team if they wouldn't mind singing a song, so if they could start coming forward and preparing. For the invitation, I'm going to invite you to, from your seat, either take in or join in with a song we're going to sing. This song is our opportunity to remind ourselves and to communicate back to God that God, my hope is not based on people because they're broken and they're gonna fail at some point. It's not based on stuff because it can be taken from me or it will be destroyed. My hope is based on a powerful, amazing, unfailing God. I'm going to have you guys stay seated for this song. And as Pastor Ethan just said, you are welcome to join us in this song. If you know it, you are, you are God alone. You can close your eyes and listen as your brothers and sisters in Christ sing with us here on stage. You can come forward to the altar and pray. You can pray from your seats. But take this time to connect with God in the hope that he provided in Jesus Christ, his son.
I thank you. I thank you that we are not alone. You, God, alone. No other God but you. You have not left us alone. You are with us. You are Emmanuel, God with us. In sending your son, Jesus Christ, to this world, you offered hope to this world. And as Pastor Ethan just reminded us, our hope is not a feeling. It is not a, a desire. It is a sure faith in a God who has proven himself to be trusted. You have shown this world that you follow through with your promises. You have shown this church that you follow through with your promises. And we can have a strong assurance, a biblical hope, and the promises yet to come will be received. For those of us who have a hope in your character, not knowing what will happen with our loved ones in our own lives, in our own future, our own finances, there has been no promise made regarding these things. Remind us of the hope that we have in your character, a sovereign God who is in control. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you're dismissed, I'd like to make some announcements. Thank you, ladies. You guys can have a seat. Real quick, uh, we are going to have our cookie swap. That's going to be next Sunday. So if you've not signed up for the cookie swap yet, please uh, do that. You can talk with my wife, chat with her. You can chat with Rose. There's a sign-up sheet, I believe, in the lobby. Um, and so you can, you can sign up in a variety of ways, talk with Rose, my wife, for the sign-up sheet. And then bring your cookies next Sunday. Please make sure you bring the recipe for those with, uh, with any allergies. They can um, let others know what you got. Okay, we have some services coming up. We have our Christmas Eve service, two of them Christmas Eve services, 6.15 and 11. 11.15. Both are about an hour. The 6.15 service will be the children's nativity paired with candlelight and singing. Now, if your children want to be in the nativity, there is a sign-up sheet in the lobby. Here's what I want you to do. Put your child's name. Put what they want to be. You've got, you know the nativity. You've got Joseph. You've got Mary. You've got the angels. You've got the shepherds. Uh, we've got animals involved. So, if someone put Joseph, you're out of luck. First come, first serve for Joseph, okay? First come, first serve for Mary. I can take as many shepherds as your kids want to be. Girl or boy, we'll take girl shepherds. I don't care. I can take as many animals as we've got outfits. And all the outfits are in this room next door in the kindergarten room. So what you do is go sign up first, please. Sign up, then go in the K-5 room, find an outfit for your child, take it home with you, keep it for the next couple of weeks, iron it, wash it, whatever. Bring it to that evening activity, and I'll collect it from you guys at another time. You don't have to take them out of the outfit that night. Bring it home. We'll get it from you another day. So sign up. Tell us what you want your child wants to be. Go get the outfit on your own. There's no one helping you, parents. You're on your own to do this. And if you have a question, I'll be walking around. You can let me know. There are picture opportunities in the lobby. Hope you guys get a chance to take a picture with your loved ones. And then next Sunday, a couple of things going on. Our ugly Christmas sweater. It is not a competition. It is just an opportunity for you to showcase that ugly sweater of yours. You say, Pastor Russ, I'm not really an ugly sweater kind of person. You know, it's an ugly sweater. Not really anyone is. If you are an ugly sweater person, there's a problem there, okay? If you think the ugly sweater looks good on you, then there's a bigger issue we need to resolve here. No one's really an ugly sweater person, hence ugly sweater. So be bold. Be brave. Show us the best ugly sweater you got next Sunday. My wife was saying, Russ, you want to wear this? And I said, honey, they got to look at me the whole service. So whatever I wear has to be toned down, like, because you're going to be staring at it the whole time, right? So... We'll, we'll do our best to make sure that's not too distracting for you. Okay, and then the Christmas party. I, we had about 20 people who signed up for that Christmas party. I needed about 40. I contacted the, the place and said, well, it looks like we, get, we, looks like we would probably. You know, in time, I think if you had signed up more today, we would have close to that mark. She said, unfortunately, 
although she did confirm the date for me, she said I ended up giving to someone else, and now it's, it's, I can't give it to you. She said, all I have now is the 18th. I said, please do not book the 18th. I will talk to the family again, the church family again. But, you know, I said, don't book it because I, got, I can't confirm until I talk with them. She said, so hold it for us. I put a new sign-up sheet in the lobby now. It is a Sunday. So it's on the same day as the ugly sweaters. You get to wear it to the Christmas party as well, double wearings. All right, so it's going to be from 3 to 6 on Sunday afternoon at Monticello's. It's $35 a person. So if that's something you think you would like to do, sign up. I'll collect the money later. I just need to know how many want to go. Eighteenth is both. Next Sunday is the cookie swap. I'm getting confused, Josh. Thank you. Next Sunday is the cookie swap. The eighteenth is both the ugly sweater and the Christmas party. That's two Sundays from today. All right. So Sunday afternoon, uh, Christmas party for the adults. Anyone eighteen or older, I would let a seventeen-year-old come. If you have a seventeen-year-old son or daughter, you want to bring them. That's fine. But just know, like twelve-year-olds, thirteen-year-olds, we'd have a great time. Three-hour Christmas party. Lots of fun. Food. Uh, dessert, everything is provided. You just show up, bring yourself your ugly sweater you wore in the morning and have a good time. All right, and then Sunday morning, Christmas, oh, by the way, Christmas Eve, we have a midnight service, 11.15 to 12. That's going to be where we're going to have the Lord's Supper or communion. We're going to have some more singing and a, a scripture reading, uh, more somber, a little more reflective. Children, nothing for them. We don't expect children to be here till midnight. I'm assuming it'll be more mostly adults here. And then Christmas Day, only one service, 11 o'clock. I've already explained there is no obligation. We're not trying to guilt you into coming on Christmas Day. Don't think you're going to be a better Christian. If you do, it doesn't work that way. If you want to worship God on Christmas Day with your church, we will be here. You prefer to worship him the, Sunday, the night before, we'll be here for that too. And uh, we just want you to enjoy the Christmas season and to have a good time with your family as you think about Christ. We don't want to burden you, but we want to provide you opportunities. So that's kind of where we're at. All right. I think, am I missing something, guys? You've been flashing announcements up there the whole time I've been talking. I don't know you know what we're, if we're on the same page with the announcements. We're good, right? Okay. Good. Then that's it, folks. If you want to go ahead and stand for our prayer, head outside, get some pictures with your family. I'm sure someone will be happy to hold the camera for you and take a picture uh, of you and your loved ones while you get a chance to, to make a memory. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the hope you give us in Christ. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you, folks. Have a Merry Christmas this season.